the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Is there a blue wave that is coming? Because it looked like it back in January, and Democrats boasted a 12-point lead just five months ago. That lead is now down to four points. Now, that is amazing for as hard as this media has worked to uh, tear the Republicans and uh, Donald Trump apart. It doesn't seem to be working. In fact, it may be backfiring. Now, that lead at four points is really almost within the margin of error of three points. But let's just in case the wave is real. Let's just uh, look at it. It's critical that we educate ourselves with the agenda that they are starting to push to conquer the wave. Let's first learn how to surf their issues. We've seen a lot of uh, talk about, you know, free health care and free college tuition. This morning, I really want to spend some time talking to you just about the minimum wage. That's the first one. $15 minimum wage. Been a staple for people like Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. I mean, I could go on, but the progressive crazy list is way too long to fit into a three-hour radio show. So just let's start with those guys. The federal minimum wage is now $7.25. Progressive lawmakers want to effectively double that. Now, that might, might be something that San Francisco should do, or even the state of California, but not in Idaho. You're not going to be able to afford to keep things open. And I contend even in Seattle and Sacra- uh, in, uh, in uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, you still won't be able to keep things open. It's minimum wage. What effect does it have? Now, you've probably heard a conservative pundit, you know, on the media, you know, a right leaning politician claim that jobs would suffer if this was a reality. But what is the data that backs that up? If McDonald's is suddenly forced to pay $15 an hour to all of their workers, would they do as we expect and begin laying off employees to compensate for the higher wages? Well, that is what those of us on the right claim. But is it reality? Let's go to Noah Williams. He's an economics professor at the University of Wisconsin. He crunched the numbers in two states to find out what effect raising the minimum wage had on jobs. He used fast food employment job numbers, which is the standard for measuring low-wage industry job changes, in both Minnesota and in his home in the state of Wisconsin. From uh, from 2010 to 2014, fast food employment, both states, grew at the same rate. But from 2014 until today, Wisconsin began outpacing Minnesota by over 4 percentage points. Employment is dropping in Minnesota and rising in Wisconsin. What's going on? Good thing he was tracking. The problem began in 2014. That is the same year that Minnesota began implementing a minimum wage increase. Wages went up to $9.65 an hour for large employers and $7.87 per hour for small employers. Now, if you consider $15 an hour as the ultimate progressive goal... What Minnesota did is actually considered pretty minor. But look at what those small tweaks did to the employment. Now think about what would happen at $15 an hour. Kiosks will outnumber employees in every business from fast food, grocery stores, retail, gas stations, everywhere. 
This is just one of the crazy progressive issues that we need to be knowledgeable about and actually have the facts at our fingertips over the next few weeks, months, and years. Progressives and socialist principles rely on ignorance of facts to succeed. It is up to all of us to deny them that opportunity. It's Thursday, June 7th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Stu, are you following at all on what is happening with the economies of the emerging markets uh, around the world as ours gets better and better and better? What's happening? You had a good outline on this, uh, actually, on last night's TV show. You can watch On Demand at TheBlaze.com slash TV. Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah that's uh, right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you dive into this stuff, I think, more than anybody that I know. Um, so most of the stuff I've heard from you. But still, I mean, it's a scary picture. I mean, because I think we in the United States now think, well, you know, our economy is doing pretty well. And in, in many ways it is. I mean, you know, throwing out things like spending and long-term debt. But I mean, in the general <laughs> vicinity, like where we are right now, we no, kind job, of are in a happy place, right? Job wage inflation is a worry for the first time since 2000. Since 2000, yeah. the Fed is now worried about job wage inflation. You're not, I'm not concerned about wage inflation. That's, that's okay. And the reason why that's happening is because there's so few people that are looking for a job now. It's the lowest in 50 years. And so that means that our wages are going to go up because there's not a lot of people to replace you. That's good. That's competition. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's great news. And there's been we are at the lowest unemployment rate uh, with the exception of April 2000. That goes back what, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of real positives here. However, the way these things start, usually negative turns in the economy. They usually start somewhere else and filter. Well, into- this is this one actually goes into my uh, my theory that if if you remember two years ago, I said, if we start printing money. To keep up with our spending, the rest of the world is going to suffer, and we are going to be the greedy pigs that get slaughtered. What happens to pigs? They get slaughtered. And this, we are now seeing the beginnings of it. And here's what's happening. The Federal Reserve is tightening the monetary policy, which is something that we've wanted to do. We've, we, you know, stop printing money. What they were doing is they're saying, we're, we're, no, we're not just printing out of thin air. We're, we're buying these assets, and we got all these Well, these assets are crap. Well, now they're starting to unload those assets, and that requires people to buy those apps, assets. If you're the Fed, you take that money, and you're not making more money. You're now destroying that money. So as you sell $50 billion of something, that money has to come from the money supply that is out there. They take that $50 billion and they take it internally and they burn it. So it's gone. So they're, they're, they're destroying this by $50 billion chunks. Well, what happens? Well, the people that were, were really taking that low interest loan and were doing really, really well with it, was the emerging markets, the places like India and Indonesia and uh, even, you know, Venezuela and you know, all over South America, third world countries, even Mexico is deeply affected by this. And they, are, they took these loans out because dollars were plentiful. Well, now dollars are not. And so these short-term loans are being reset because dollars 
are fewer in those countries now. They have to, the banks have to charge more in interest. And so they don't have the money to continue these loans. So things are collapsing. There's starting to be chaos. There's starting to be cash shortages because we're absorbing all of it back. And it's not just the $50 billion. That probably would be okay to do. But remember, nobody's ever done this and survived. It would probably be okay. But it's also that we're running a billion-dollar deficit. I'm sorry, a trillion-dollar deficit now. In our, our budget is calling for, yeah, we're short a trillion dollars, but we'll just, uh, we'll just make it up. Well, they're not printing those dollars now. We have to go find those dollars and we're the biggest one on the on the block. So when we so, soak up a trillion dollars in cash, all those people who are at the bottom of the barrel, they don't get money and they need it. And so it's uprising and chaos. And if we don't stop our spending and we don't look beyond our own borders and see what the Fed is doing, we are the pigs that will be slaughtered because all around Central America and South America and in Asia now, a storm is brewing. Imagine a darkness, something darker and scarier than the deepest parts of the ocean. Darker than that awful darkness of space, the darkness of night, a house shackled by darkness because there isn't any electricity and there hasn't been for months. But then again, that's not the dark I'm talking about. The real dark is the dark part that lives inside of you. The things that you now have to do on a daily basis just to stay alive. Around the corner, you hear the bestial shouts from a Caracas jail. The prisoners have taken over. At least that's what you hear. They feel they can do a better job of controlling themselves than whoever has been doing it lately. It was a hundred years ago that this country was lavished in wealth. Not too long ago, you too were rich. You were healthy in that chubby 19th century Russian diplomat way. You ate well. You probably ate too much. Black turtle beans and fried bananas. Asado negro. You drool just thinking of the tender shredded beef and the carrot and oregano tinged broth. You strode through steakhouses on special occasions. You ate T-bones like a Texan. You, you drank Chilean wines. Malbec from Argentina. Occasionally, a glass of cognac. Not because you were drunk, but because you could. Because you enjoyed the sprouting goodness that life had to offer. Man, that life, it seemed like it was never going to end. Now look at yourself. You're a bag of bones. Bones jutting out like false teeth. At times, you think about all the energy you waste just breathing. What happened? Now you can barely afford a single egg. One egg. Eggs that fall out of the backsides of chickens, and I can't afford it? Your mouth quivers at the thought of a fried egg tender. So tender it pops open with just the prod of a fork oozing onto the fried papaya and rotisserie chicken. You've lost 120 pounds since it all started going to hell. And now, you're in it firmly. You weren't rich, you were middle class, lower middle class even. 
That's just how good things used to be. Although there was always the cinder block hovels that you can see from the plain as you land in Caracas. But now it has spread. The office where you used to work as an accountant, it's now empty, abandoned, overtaken by squatters, people like you who lost everything, who limp a little more each day toward their death. Men all in black now patrol the streets with shotguns, black bulletproof vests and black tarp-like shirts and black pants, black military boots. People hamper cars in the street because there's nowhere to go, nothing to do. Gasping a bit, you rest below a crucifix statue, the left tilting head of Christ emblazoned in a soft and sad light, the burnished rise of daylight breathing into a new day. Looking at Christ, perhaps for the first time you understand suffering. You understand his defeated look, the look of hopelessness and violence and death. The hopelessness of surrendering and surrendering until it stops mattering. You hope. You have that one hope left that all things will change. But you really hope that just anything begins to change. It was all so promising at the beginning. Everybody was going to be able to live the high life. And now only a handful are and they are the ones that live behind the gates. This, you think to yourself, this is the socialist utopia they promised all of us as Venezuelans? As you sit there under the statue, you begin to replay it all in your mind and wonder, where are all those Americans, those celebrities, those from Hollywood that praised our leaders and helped convince us that this was the road to prosperity. I wonder what they're eating tonight. Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network.